great to have you with us. One of the main things that we do together when we gather and whatever form we gather is to read and reflect on the Bible together. And I don't just mean a verse here or there or just biblical topics. I mean, that's great too. I mean an inductive journey through the Bible. This for me has been a continual source of revelation. I am amazed how God speaks to me, to us in such a fresh and timely way as we devote ourselves to God's Word week by week. Of course, there are times when we grapple with topics and respond to issues in our culture from a biblical viewpoint, just as we did in the uh, current series that we did uh, finishing a couple of weeks ago. But I really feel committed to an ongoing inductive journey through the Bible. And I want to take just a moment to explain why, because it does also kind of connect with the message that I've got today. To put the question another way, why should we care about the stories of Moses and Joshua and Ruth and Samuel and so forth? Why should we care about what Paul wrote in his letters? Well, there's an important spiritual principle for us to recognise here, and it will make a very big difference to your life if you dig into this. And it is this, to be a part of what God is doing we need to get our roots deep down into what God has done. Those who are deeply rooted in what God has done and said will have the foundation to grow up into what God is saying and is doing now. Think of all of the times God said to Moses, for example, in the book of Deuteronomy, remember, don't forget what I've said. Don't forget what I've done. Rehearse it. They had the festivals and the celebrations to make sure that they remembered and commemorated and told the stories. He said, write it up in your doors. When you sit down at your table, talk about it, reflect on it, saturate yourself in what I have done and said in the past, because it will give you what you need to spearhead the future. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one, verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Actually, the word in Hebrew law is the word Torah. It means it doesn't mean law in, as in just rules. It's law as in covenant. It's really, I mean, there's a sermon in that on its own. The Bible is a covenant. This is talking about the Scriptures, whose delight is in the Torah of the Lord, the Scriptures, and who meditates on his Torah day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. See, the words and actions of God in the past are the garden bed from which we will grow into the future. God has a purpose for you, for me, for us in the future. And we can access that future, even look into it in some sense through what God has done in the past. That's actually how biblical prophecy works. Everything that God has said and done in the past becomes the map that enables us to navigate the future. Now, you might might ask, well, okay, that's fine, but why not just focus on the Gospels and just on what Jesus did? But we need to recognise 
that it is all the gospel. From Genesis to Revelation, it is all the gospel. And everything that you read from creation to the new heavens and the new earth is what Jesus has done. Paul said in, uh, to the Ephesian elders, it's recorded in Acts 20, 27, Paul says, I did not hesitate to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. Why skim across the surface of the counsel of God in Scripture? Why just dip in to the favourite bits? I choose slow, steady and deep. Deeply rooted so that we can grow high and strong in faith. And I believe as we move forwards, we are going to need this more than ever. That's why we do this. Well, today, and this is kind of related to what I'm going to talk about today. Today, we're going to begin looking at the book of Samuel in the Old Testament. Now, it's actually divided into two books, First and Second Samuel, which simply because it didn't all fit on the one scroll when it was written. And these books, the books of Samuel, primarily tell the story of David, King David. So let's just do a quick recap, just for the sake of those who are not familiar with the story of the Bible. So God's plan to save the world that human beings messed up, really, starts with one man, Abraham, who becomes the 12 tribes of Israel, who God saved from slavery in Egypt under Moses and then brings into the promised land under Joshua. And the plan then was to unite the 12 tribes under one king, which is David. But see, the plan was not ultimately about one particular ethnic group under one human king. No, the the goal was always global. It was always a global plan. But it had to first be enacted in this form. See, Israel was always meant to embody and prefigure, prophetically prefigure God's ultimate plan to unite all humanity under one divine king, Jesus Christ, who embodies God's kingship. So as we read the story of Israel, this is a key for reading the Bible. As we read the story of Israel, we're not just reading history. We are reading prophecy. Israel is a prophetic sign to the rest of the world. They embody a prophetic message. So the stories of Israel in the Old Testament are not just facts about the past. They are promises for the future. There are patterns here in the way that God works that we should take note of so that we can step into those patterns. And we see one of those here in the first chapters of Samuel. One of the main patterns that we see throughout Scripture is what I'm going to call the word-act pattern. It's one of the most dominant patterns the word-act pattern. God speaks before God acts. It is a pattern 
that runs right through the Bible of declaration fulfillment, declaration fulfillment. The pattern is set up in Genesis chapter one, which says repeatedly, and God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And that's what we see right here at the start of 1 Samuel. As I said, this is the book that tells the story of King David, but the book doesn't start with David. It starts with Samuel, the prophet, hence the name of the book. To be specific, it starts with the miraculous birth narrative of the prophet Samuel, who prepares the way for and eventually anoints David as king. Now, can you think of another book of the Bible that begins with the miraculous birth narrative of a prophet who prepares the way for and anoints the king? The Gospel of Luke begins with the miraculous birth narrative of John the Baptist who prepared the way for and baptised Jesus into his ministry. What's the significance? Well, the prophet represents God's word. Before God acts, God speaks. It all begins with the word. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. When we connect with what God is saying, we can connect with what God is doing. The declaration of God's word connects us with the divine act. Okay, so let's, let's turn to the story of Samuel. Now, this story is set in the midst of a dark and troubled period of Israel's history. It was a time when various tribes were ruled by a very motley crew of often eccentric warlords referred to as judges. And that story is recorded in the book of Judges. It was a time when very few people were listening to God. Now, there are some remarkable exceptions to this from this period, which includes, by the way, Ruth and Boaz, whose story Steve told us last week. And then there was Samuel's parents, Elkanah and Hannah, who at a time of widespread spiritual degeneration made the worship of God central to their lives. And I want to note this today. 1 Samuel 1.3 says of Elkanah, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. When few people even cared, when few people, when most people had lots of other things going, other priorities, Elkanah and Hannah were determined to keep God central to the rhythm of their lives and central by the rhythm of their lives. And because they were intent on meeting with God regularly, God met 
with them. And as a result, Hannah, who was barren, was miraculously enabled to conceive and gave birth to Samuel. To cut a long story short, by the way, and I do encourage you to read the story for yourself. So the one who would embody God, think about this. So the one who would embody God's word, God's word comes to the, those who are steadfast in their faithfulness in putting God central. You know, we live in a time of sensationalism when big achievements are celebrated and everyone else kind of, feel, kind of feels insignificant. But you see, God honours simple, regular faithfulness. It's the people who keep coming for worship, who stay connected, who steadfastly hold those simple but vital sacred rhythms of prayer and Bible reading and worship and serving and giving. God is not looking for big heroic religious deeds, but for steadfastness. Those who hang in there, who keep at it, whether they feel like it or not. And in doing so, and here's my point, and in doing so, they create a pattern of life for themselves and the next generation and generations. Which brings me back to the story of Samuel. Well, Samuel eventually becomes a young apprentice in the tabernacle. He's dedicated to the tabernacle. And here we have the first of many contrasts, very interesting feature of the the, uh, first book of Samuel. We have the first of many contrasts that the writer of Samuel uses as a kind of literary device to form his message. Alongside the young Samuel are these two sons of the presiding high priest, Eli. And this is what it says about them in 1 Samuel 2 verse 12. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now these young men were corrupt and it talks about all the corrupt things they did, but it's very interesting to see how their core problem, the core problem is described here. All of those other corrupt practices are really just the bad fruit of a core problem and that is that they had no regard for the Lord. They're not tuned in to God. They're tuned completely tuned out and on their own wavelength. In contrast to this, it says of Samuel, 1 Samuel 2, verse 18, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord. And then again in verse 21, meanwhile, while all of this other stuff is going on, meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And again in verse 26, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with people. I want you to note that this doesn't depict one big, you know, one-off thing that Samuel or anyone else did. Samuel was ministering before the Lord continually. He grew up in God's presence. And note, this all began 
before Samuel was born with his parents, Elkanah and Hannah, regularly and continually going up to the tabernacle to worship God. Not great heroic spiritual deeds, but simple, regular patterns. Slow, steady growth. Steadfast, faithful ministry to the Lord. So that when it mattered, Samuel was attuned to hear the voice of God and that changed everything. Which brings me to 1 Samuel chapter 3, which I want to read to you now. 1 Samuel chapter 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Now in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. You see, God wasn't speaking because no one wanted to listen. Verse 2, one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, in this next, next little section, just about every line, as has been noted by commentators, seems to have some kind of spiritual symbolic significance. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming weak so that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. There's a lot of discussion of this line. Now, this is referring to the, the menorah, the candle in the holy place in the, temp, in the tabernacle, right? It was, a, it was a lamp and it was to be kept burning continually. It was the eternal flame. It was meant to represent the life of God in his people, the continually burning flame. And so the priest had to, you know, renew it, rekindle it every, uh, um, re-oil it, whatever, every morning. So the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel, here's another one, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. He had rest, peace, shalom in Hebrew, in God's house. Then the Lord called Samuel. Now why Samuel? Why not the high priest? Why the apprentice? Because Samuel's heart was ready to hear. As Jesus often said, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, those who are willing to listen will hear. So Samuel, verse four, so Samuel answered, here I am. It's a beautiful statement of availability. It's actually the same response that, we, that comes from Abraham on Mount Moriah when God says, Abraham, Abraham. And Moses on Mount Sinai, here I am. Because Samuel has the same heart to listen. Now, but at this stage, though he hears, he doesn't know it's God. See, he has the heart, but not the knowledge yet. And so verse five says, and he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go and back and lie down. So he went and he lay down. Again, the Lord called, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel 
Verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. I mean, he knew God in some sense, but not in this intimate way. A third time, verse 8, a third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. And I think, you know, the repetition of this demonstrates Samuel's availability. Here I am. Then Eli realised that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there. The Lord came and stood there with this boy who was willing to listen, calling us at the other times, and I love this, Samuel, Samuel. See, he calls him by name. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. And what follows here, to summarise, what follows here is a classic prophetic message in which God promises to purge his holy place in readiness for the coming of the king who would then establish a godly priesthood to serve and worship in his house. Listen, God is calling you today. He is calling you by name. Isaiah 43, verse 1. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. God is calling your name. The word of the Lord embodied in Jesus Christ is knocking at your door and calling you by name. He wants to come and establish his rule in your heart by his Holy Spirit. Revelation 3 verse 20 says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, if anyone Hears my if they have positioned themselves through steadfast faithfulness, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's a picture of intimate communion with God. Samuel heard the voice of the Lord. When few people were listening, Samuel's heart was willing. And so he became a messenger of God, calling people back to God, helping other people hear the voice of God and so preparing the way for the king. We need to open the door and keep it open to be in constant communion with God, a heart that is always listening. This means that like Samuel, 
like Elkanah and Hannah, we live lives patterned for attentiveness to God so that it can be said of you as it was said of Elkanah in 1 Samuel 1 verse 3, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty. Year after year, week after week, day after day, this man, this woman goes up to offer himself or herself as a sacrifice to the Lord so that you will be where you need to be to hear from God when you need it. So that you will be, so to speak, under the cloud when that fresh rain of God's Word comes. So that your heart will be attuned when He speaks. And this happens, remember, this is what I'm saying. This happens not because of one big one-off experience, but through a pattern of life. Whatever else is happening in your life right now, this is what you most need. A life patterned around worship is a life that maintains a spiritual peace and rest that is necessary to hear from God. You need spiritual stillness in your heart to hear the voice of God. I think our hearts are so often filled with chaos and noise. We need spiritual stillness and rest to hear the voice of God. We need to create a spacious, clear place. This is what the, you know, the waiting room has been about, really. It's a symbol of this. Create a spacious, clear place in our lives where God's voice can be heard when we need it. Remember how it was with Samuel in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 3 to 4. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was, then the Lord called Samuel. There's a tendency in charismatically inclined churches like ours to chase after the big sensational experiences. You know, we tend to want a God, we want God to speak loudly, you know, and fill us with those Holy Spirit fireworks. And God might do that occasionally. And I would love, I would love to be the guy that brings the fireworks, but I, I have such a strong sense of God's calling and saying, what is needed here is not fireworks but to cultivate, to maintain the eternal flame of God in God's house. Like the menorah, like the candle, like the flame in the tabernacle. Since God's saying, tend that flame so that it will burn for generation after generation after generation until Jesus returns. You may want God to shout, but he seeks intimacy. He wants to whisper 
in your ear. It is as it was with another great prophet, Elijah, when he went up his mountain. As it says in 1 Kings 19, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Now listen to this. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God is calling your name. He is calling you out so that you can be in a place to hear his voice. There will come a time when God will sound a trumpet call. But until then, make sure that you are attuned to his gentle whisper to have a heart that is in a pattern of worship that hears God calling your name, a heart that says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So let's get into those patterns, patterns of prayer, stillness, reading God's word, gathering for worship, however we can, serving, giving, remembering, celebrating, listening, Steadfast faithfulness is what God is asking for. Long and deep. So that though there may be chaos in the world, there will be peace and rest in here. So let's respond now with our worship team, with this song. And let's welcome the Holy Spirit Let's welcome the Holy Spirit to settle in our lives and in our homes and in our church and in our city.